Hello friends and welcome to this, the last of this series on Anchors for the Soul. I hope this series has helped uh, you and ministered to you and enabled your soul to find great peace and joy. Uh, hopefully you found an anchorage beyond the storm in eternal values and in the one true King whose throne is above all. The great opportunity of this time, the moment that we're in, the lesson and the upgrade that God is yearning to give us, I believe, is that we find anchorage for our souls beyond the circumstances because that'll stand us in great stead. No matter what comes, no matter who challenges us, no matter where we are, we find anchorage in eternal realities and we cannot be moved. We are unshaken because the kingdom of our God is an unshakable kingdom. And if God is going to shake everything, Everything that can be shaken, what cannot be shaken will remain. And so we're making sure we're anchored in the eternal and in the beauty of our King Jesus Christ so that when the shaking happens, we don't shake with it. We are those who stand firm. We are those who find great joy and peace and delight in our King. And this series has been about finding those anchors in the storm. And I'm hoping that you've learned through it. It's not so much a message series about how we can avoid the storms, but facing the reality that storms will come from time to time and that they come to pass. That is, that they do pass away. We're learning the great lesson on how to anchor our souls in the middle of those storms. Now, there is nothing that makes me personally more sad or unsettled as when believers act as though they have no faith, like sheep without a shepherd who look harassed and helpless. And they, they grieve like those who have no hope and they're fearful like those who are not held in an immense love. Uh, there, there is unsettling in their lives like those who have no values and they look like they're alone, like somebody who has no community. And it's a great sadness for me to find believers losing their hearts and minds to a temporary storm. But what a joy it is to see believers facing the storms and shouting, peace, be still when they're at their fury. What a delight to see believers filled with peace and joy when all others around them are losing their heads and when the other people's hearts are failing them. What a beauty it is to see Christians loving people and being generous to people when their own finances are being squeezed. It is precisely because of these incongruent actions that we show ourselves to be anchored in Jesus and we show ourselves to be His disciples. We're not being moved by the storm or scared by the waves. We're anchored in something that is much larger reality. We're held fast by much stronger bonds than what faces us. Now we know we're going to have to fix our eyes on Jesus, on things beyond the storm. And if we want to be anchored far beyond these waves, if we're going to be held secure past the endurance of these troubles, we have to be anchored in eternal things. And so we've been looking as, as part of the series in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, it says, Now, and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Today, we're going to focus on that anchor of faith, that our faith is an anchor for our souls through the ups and downs of regular days. So let's start with a basic recap of faith before we look into the specifics of how we can make faith an anchor for our souls. Simply stated that all of God's work, everything He does, is done through the agency of faith. Faith is an integral ingredient for all the accomplishments of God. He employs it along with wisdom in everything that He creates, and He expects His people to share the same faith. 
In 1 Timothy 4, from verse 3, it says this, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, I urged when I went to Macedonia to stay there in Ephesus so that you can command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversy, controversial speculations, rather than advancing God's work. Now, this is the parentheses, which is by faith. God's work is by faith, and He encourages us to join Him in that work, and He delights in those of us who believe. For it is those who believe in those who believe that God's will is made manifest. That's why we cannot please God uh, without the agency of faith. And we can only please God when we step out practically in faith. And this is what Hebrews 11 says, Hebrews 11:5. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So God works by faith. He is blessed and pleased when we have faith and we are offered into a brand new reality. We're ushered in to a brand new set of possibilities when we believe. Now that scripture's talking about this idea that Enoch was caught up in the second coming of Jesus thousands of years before it happened because he saw it. He believed God and therefore he experienced it. See, the book of Jude tells us about a prophecy that Enoch made, and Enoch was only seven generations from Adam. He was way out there in the beginning of time. It says, Jude 1.14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones. So Enoch has this vision. He's a friend of God. He lives by faith. He's, he's a man of faith. He's talking to God, and God shows him. I think Enoch asked, Lord, well, how does this all end? And the Lord showed him Jesus coming back with his army of angels to come and pick up his bride. And Enoch saw that and he was so enamored. He prophesied about it and, he, and then he experienced it. Because Jesus had said in Matthew 30, 24, 39, this is how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know what day or time the Lord will come. So it's this idea that those who believe have an entirely new vista and an opportunity for them. See, what, what, what used to be accessible is now radically expanded. What used to be possible or impossible no longer applies to us. Just like Enoch, Enoch saw something in God and because he believed, he experienced it. And, and that's, friends, it's not possible. He, he was seven generations from Adam, but he saw the second coming of Jesus and he was taken. He was caught up to meet with the Lord in the air. The Lord just took the time from when he was uh, taken to the time of Jesus and he just connected those two dots. Enoch was caught up in the second coming of Jesus way back then just because he, he believed. There are some things that are not possible for those who don't believe that suddenly become possible for those who do believe. And this is what Matthew 17, this is what Jesus said. They said, Jesus, why can't we drive this demon out? And he said, it's because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, 
move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. For those who have faith, nothing will be impossible for you. But if you don't have faith, a lot of things are impossible. Mark chapter 9 and verse 22, Jesus said it another way. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If I can, said Jesus, everything is possible for those who believe. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. So there you go. We're armed with two statements from Jesus. Nothing will be impossible for you and everything will be possible to the one who believes. So if you're in a storm and you have faith, that faith immediately removes you from any possibility of being a victim. It takes away the excuse of a victim mentality because suddenly possibilities beyond the few hopeless scenarios presented by the wind and the waves are available to you. Suddenly I'm anchored in a realm of faith where so many other things are possible. So many outcomes are available to me. And there are too many believers that are acting like victims. We are not victims. We are victors. The wind and the waves cannot overcome me because I've been captivated and overcome by a much greater glory. And when their threatening seems loud, we can laugh in the face of the storm because it pales in comparison to the God of the breakthrough. Now we should probably add that sometimes our faith will be tested to develop that faith in us because unused faith muscles tend to atrophy and they become wimpy. And so we're going to be a necessary string of testings to our faith so that it develops and comes into its full maturity and is made pure. Now, here's a bunch of scriptures and you know this, but this is the this constant doctrine of the scriptures in the New Testament. Hey, guys, your faith is vitally important. That's why when you have some, it's going to be tested. Why? Because the more you exercise your faith muscles, the larger it grows, just like anything else. 1 Peter 1, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. There is a shielding of God's power for those who are in faith that there isn't for those who are not. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though for now you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to prove the genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised, my friends, at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. James 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy, my friends, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith is going to develop perseverance, which must finish its work in you so that you can be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So you have been given this opportunity to believe. God functions in faith. He's absolutely pleased when you have faith. And He's going to send some storms. He's going to send some tests because those tests have one design in God. They're supposed to test and prove. They're supposed to develop your faith. They're supposed to make that anchorage more and more firm and secure. Till after a while when it comes, you just laugh at the storm because you're so rooted and anchored in God, so settled in your faith, so calm in the moment that the trials feel embarrassed. Too many believers acting like victims, too many believers with, with not enough faith because our faith anchors us. It's like an anchor for our soul. It holds us firm and secure. And there is nothing that this world or the enemy can do that can shake us. We become unshakable people when we're anchored by our faith.
So let's talk a little bit now about how we can actually pragmatically, practically, how do I make this faith an anchor for my soul? I want to be anchored, Greg. I want to know what should I believe? What should I put my faith out for? Well, number one, we have faith in His person. That means that I believe in the fundamental goodness and character and nature of God. That He is who He is and He will not change. The self-existent, eternal God who doesn't rely on anybody else for His existence. He's not desperately trying to sustain Himself. He is life. He contains life within Himself and everything that exists came forth from Him. He sustains all creation. The self-existent, eternal God. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the world, Psalm 90 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God who deserves glory and honor forever. He is that God. We put our faith in who He is, faith in His person. In, in the book of Hebrews, when it's talking about foundational doctrines, he says, faith in God. Put your faith in God, in who He is. He is immutable. It means God has committed Himself to being exactly who He is in character and practice, and He's never going to change that. This is great news because no one can resist His power, and if He was evil, that would be a terrible life for us. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, and He said, I am the Lord, that is my name, and because I never change, you are not destroyed, because I am perfectly good all the time. He is immutable. God is locked in His nature. He has made Himself perfectly good in every aspect, and He will not change. This means that when you put your faith in Him, He's like an anchor for your soul. The character and the nature of God is a great place to anchor your life. Because friends, the storm is going to come and the enemy is going to scream and this world is going to conspire to tell you lies about who God is. But if your faith is in His nature, when, when circumstances come together and when the enemy is whispering and when other people are saying God is not good, you can reach out your faith and say, I know that my God is good. I am anchored in His goodness or His faithfulness or His kindness. I'm anchored in the person of God. I put my faith in His person. He is beautiful. He is perfectly holy, for example. He, everything about Him, His words, His thoughts, His deeds are pure and completely without evil or sin. He's always righteous when He deals with us. He's always just in His judgment. He constantly moves against sin and is justified in doing so because sin has no hold on Him at all. And His goal is to make us just like Him. He's perfectly loving. See, Greg, what must I put my faith in? Put your faith in the perfect love of God. He's, it's not just a warm emotion that can fade, but an eternal choice on his, of His will and of His nature. This is His being. Put your faith in His person. Because His love and the gift of His Son will not change for you. It's always going to be available to you. And this is always what God has for you. He is perfectly faithful. What should I believe? Believe that He cannot be unfaithful to you. Because 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, faithless, He remains faithful because He cannot disown Himself. 
Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because he who promised is faithful. There is a, a belief. My faith is in the person of God. He is good. He is loving. He is faithful. He is pure. See, the enemy's going to come and charge, lay charges against God that he's not pure, that he's evil, that he's selfish in whatever else. It's what he did to Adam and Eve. He said, listen, Adam and Eve, God is threatened by you and he doesn't want to share. That's why he said you can't eat from that tree. And the moment Adam and Eve believed a lie about the fundamental nature, the moment the devil got them to stop believing in God's goodness and they started believing in the fundamental deviance of God, they said, well, well you're right, he's evil. And that's how sin entered the world. Friends, do not let that. Put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Who He is, is an anchor for your soul. And when life goes up and down and when circumstances conspire to lie to you about God, you can take a firm grip by faith and say, no, I know my God is good. I know my God is faithful. I know there is no evil in Him. He is altogether lovely. He is perfectly good. So God is going to be faithful to you. He's going to be perfectly good to you. This means that He is the epitome of good. And He really wants you to experience His goodness. If He wasn't good, we'd be in bad, bad shape. But the scripture says, Psalm 34, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in Him. Come and see, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in His way. God is perfectly good and He means for you to taste it. He wants you to know His goodness. But more than that, He wants you to believe in His goodness. Now, His kindness his goodness, His faithfulness, His patience, His holiness. If, if you can just uh, read the Scriptures, see what the Scriptures say about God, and you put your faith in His person. Sometimes I've been in circumstances where it has looked to me like God has not been faithful, or He isn't kind, or He isn't good, because that's the way the enemy sets it up. The moment something bad happens, the moment I'm under pressure, the moment somebody doesn't like me, or somebody says something evil, the enemy rushes to discourage and to tear my work away. But that's why I have the anchor of faith, because I stretch out my faith and I'm anchored in the person of God. I know who I have believed. Paul said, I know who he is. My faith goes out to him. And when I don't understand and when I'm in pain and when I'm under pressure, that is the most important time for me to reach out and believe what the Bible says about who he is. I believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And that belief, that faith is an anchor for my soul. This is the God that we know and we've been called to believe in. And when we see how truly amazing He is, then getting to know Him is the ultimate privilege. And I know that there are a lot of questions that are as yet unanswered, but there are many people who live in the balance, in the stress of unanswered questions, but who are still anchored by their faith in the person of God. We have come to put our faith in Him because we are called to believe and trust in Him who is going to make all things clear to us. And, and as we go down our journey, as we're anchored by our faith, that faith will call us on ever towards the King who has loved us. He is the beginning and the ending, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And He is working with you to bring forth a picture in your heart about who He really is. So until that time when you see all things clearly, we have an, we have an anchor for our souls. 
our faith in the person, in his character and his fundamental nature, which is beautiful beyond description. So the first thing, put your faith in the person, in his personality. The second thing, put your faith in his position. Now, what I mean by this is that Jesus is our champion, our redeemer, our king, and he is seated on the throne next to God. And according to the scriptures, we're seated in him, with him on his throne. See, when you came into Christ, you were already found to be acceptable to God. You were already included in Christ, already qualified to receive the inheritance that Jesus purchased for you. In fact, the fact that Jesus is seated proves the finished work of the cross. There is nothing else for Jesus to accomplish on your behalf. Jesus came as your representative. He came as the appointed one that God said, I will make you the one who can intercede. I will make you the intermediary between God and mankind. Jesus was the only one God appointed. He is the only high priest that God will listen to. He is the only atoning sacrifice that God found acceptable. And Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and he died a a sinner's death and God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And when Jesus died, he said, it is absolutely, completely finished. And it really was. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, there was nothing left for Jesus to do but to sit down and find peace because everything had been accomplished. Now there's just massive celebration in heaven. The, The glory and the honor that is due to the Lamb, He's being celebrated in heaven and He's waiting for us, the church, to make his enemies his footstool. So when you came into Christ, you came into that reality. And the fact that Jesus is seated now means that there is nothing else to do. So when we put our faith in him, we put our faith in his position, in the fact that this is a finished work. There's not extra things for you to do. There's not another thing that needs to happen. There's not more that you need to accomplish so that your sins can be forgiven. It was done for you by Jesus. And when you believed your faith in Jesus and in work that he accomplished, your faith in his position liberates you from all your own effort and suddenly you enter into an estate of favor and blessing and forgiveness that was purchased for you by Jesus Christ. It is not of ourselves so that no one can boast. This is the gift of God, as Paul says. Now, all things uh, that speak about our estate in Christ in the New Testament are spoken about in the past tense. They're in the aorist tense in the Greek. These are things that already have happened to us. When you and I came into Christ, all of these things are considered to be true about us. You were included in this estate of being in Christ, and the following truths have all been accomplished for you by Jesus who is now seated and waiting. These are not things that you have yet to accomplish. These are things that were accomplished for you. And when you believed in Christ, they became true in your life. God chose you. That's past tense. You were given grace. That's past tense. You were given light and the ability to understand the gospel. That's past tense. You were crucified with Christ. You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ in baptism. Your old self was cut away in circumcision. That's all in the past tense. You were made alive with Christ. 
You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You were made righteous. You were raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places. You were marked in Him with a seal. You were blessed with every spiritual gift in Christ Jesus. You were given fullness because you're in Christ. You were called to glory. All of these things are past tense because when you came into Jesus Christ, everything that He died to purchase was given to you one time as a free gift. It happened to you, not because of your goodness, not because of your effort, but because of your faith in the one who was perfect. And when you believed in Jesus Christ, when you believed in the finished work of the cross, it all blew into your life. It was given to you as a free gift. You exist in Christ in that reality. And it is not about you. It is about Him. And so the most important thing, the most important work that you can be doing is what Jesus said when they said, what must we do to inherit eternal life? He said, this is the work of God. This is the work that God requires of you. Believe in the Son that He sent. That's it. So when you came into Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you put your faith in His position, who He is and what He has accomplished, it has required of you that faith. But your faith, when you believe in that, all of that blessing, all of that inheritance, every favor from God is unlocked to you because you believed. Makes you want to just love Jesus. Makes you want to turn to Him and say, Lord, how beautiful you are. Beautiful beyond description to marvelous for words. So we put our faith in the person. We put our faith in His position. And thirdly, we put our faith in His promises. God doesn't lie and He is eternal. That means He remembers His promises for a thousand generations. He remembers something He promised to Abraham and something He promised to David, and He's still keeping those promises today to people who lived thousands of years ago. Even though some people alive have no idea about those promises, God is still being faithful to His Word because He promised it to friends of His. Now, when you and I put our faith in what God has promised us, it's like an anchor for our souls, and it keeps us moving in the right direction through the storm. Because the storm is going to obscure our path. We're going to lose our way if we don't have something as an anchor and a compass. But when you have faith, when you put your faith in the promises of God, even though the storm and the current and the wind blows against what God has promised you, and that's almost inevitably going to happen. God promises you, you go in this direction and the wind in opposition to the word of God tries to blow you away. The currents try to pull you back. But when you put your faith in the promise of God, you start to lean into the currents and push against the winds and say, no, that's what I'm trusting God for. That anchor of, the, of your faith in the promises of God gives you direction. It gives you focuses and it holds you steady against the wind and the waves. God promised to steer us when the currents and winds want to take us off course. And a healthy regard and a healthy knowledge of God's promises to you will be extremely useful to you, especially when you're in tough times. Let me just say it again. God has whispered promises to you. Sometimes they've come out of His Word. It's just like that, that passage of Scripture always seems to jump up and bite you in the heart. For years, every time, every couple of years, that Scripture comes back to you. It, it nourishes you again. It pours its nutrient into your heart one more time. You feel peace. You feel affinity with that Scripture. I dare you take those Scriptures. Put them all together. Meditate on them. 
think about them because the Lord's trying to speak to you. He's trying to make promises to you. He wants to give you anchors for your soul. This is who I'm going to be for you. And if you will take that, if you put your faith in His promises, you'll find that those, those promises are like an anchor for your soul. They help you focus. They help you fight the fight of faith. And they keep you moving forward. It's very, very important. Faith in what God promised you will be an anchor for you. And they're vital for your life. Not just out of the scriptures, but sometimes the Lord will whisper to you personally or to use somebody else to make a promise to you, to speak out a very directive, very clear, this is what I have for you. This is what I want for you. And I've just discovered, friends, that when you step out on those and the, the larger the decision, the more careful you want to be with it, obviously. But, but the Lord is kind. He's extremely faithful. He doesn't mind repeating Himself. He'll make it plain to you. This is what I want for you. But when God makes it plain, we step out and we walk into what He's calling us to do. We step out onto the promise of God and we can accomplish amazing things. That faith in His promises moves us downfield. Now, some of you may say, Greg, that's, that's great, but it's, it's taken long. And I, I, I put my faith in the promises, and, and uh, next thing I know, there was just a storm against me. Yep, that's the way pretty much it's going to work. Because you, your faith needs to be tested. It needs to be proven a little bit more genuine. You have to build up some muscle. You have to confess, no, this is what the Lord said. And when circumstances are screaming, that's not possible for you. There is no way that could possibly be true. You don't have enough time left for that to accomplish. In the middle of what is not possible without faith, faith takes a hold on the promise of God and says, it is possible for me. I will believe I am going to see my God come through. And it's time, honestly, honestly, it's time for the church to stir ourselves and wake up a little and grab hold of some faith. Put our faith in the promises of God. Put our faith in the Word of God and say, this is who I believe. This is what's going to happen. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Though all around me is seeking my death, I'm going to walk in the glory of God, for He is a shield around me. Stir yourself up with the promises of God, because when you believe in the promises, it will be an anchor for your soul. But Greg, it's taking a long time. Yeah. Hebrews 6.11 says, we, don't, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Faith is usually mixed in with a little ingredient of time. Faith over time, faith and patience brings forth the promise. It's the ingredient mix for promises. Faith and patience, faith and patience. Because it's not just a, a fleeting momentary grasp on faith. I, I, I can build myself up this mountain and I can grab the high bar of, I believe God will be good to me. No, it's that slow burn and that internal conviction. My God is going to be good to me. I don't care what the circumstances say. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what the accusation of the enemy says. I don't care what my history says. I believe in my God. And it's not a momentary flash of that. It is a deep in a conviction that becomes your reality and is manifest through you because the good person out of the good stored up within their heart brings forth good. And that's how it's going to be with you. So friends, 
we've talked about having faith in the person of Jesus Christ. We've talked about faith in the position of Jesus Christ. And now we're talking about faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. Greg, where do I put my faith? Faith in His person. He's never going to fail you. And the scripture says no one who ever put their hope in Him was ever put to shame. Faith in His person. Believe Him. He is immutably good and kind and faithful and loving. He's never going to fail. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to betray you. Believe in Him. Faith in His person. Faith in His position. Jesus has accomplished a perfect salvation for you. Put all of your hope, all of your eggs in that one basket. Paul said, I consider everything else rubbish. I, I, I throw it off the table compared to this surpassing grace of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Him and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is by faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And we put our faith in His promises. God is not a tease. He didn't give you promises because He's trying to tease you because he's for His own amusement. He gave you promises because He's trying to provoke faith in you. So that when you look at Him and you say, I believe you. He goes about, all of heaven gets rearranged. All of life gets realigned to start working in your life to see that what God promised you comes true. It may take a little while, but it's coming. So I dare some of you today just to shake off the lethargy and shake off the discouragement and shake off the discouragement and say, Lord, I know who you are. I believe what you did and I believe what you said. You are going to make a massive difference in my life. And we have this faith as an anchor for our souls. And it holds us firm. And there is nothing the storm and the wind and the wave or the current can do to shake us. Because we are anchored by our faith. Friends, I hope the series has ministered to you. And I'm praying that you would take a little time and make sure that as you search out, as you chase down God, that you would find Him. And that you would anchor your life in Him. So that whatever comes, good times, bad times, easy times, tough times. That your anchorage is not in those things, but in Him who is the Eternal One. God bless. It's been so good to be with you in this series. We look forward to seeing you next week.